Showtime. Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries. Oh, oh, oh my. <laughs> what, what a ride. We're three old. <laughs> it's like a roller coaster. Right yeah. <laughs> We're three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Marcy. I'm Robin. And I'm Adam. So we all know Steven Spielberg as a groundbreaking director that brought us classics like Jaws and Jurassic Park. But even though his live-action achievements are well-known, his contributions to animation might be overlooked from time to time. Yeah. I would say so. I think when people think of Steven Spielberg, they might not initially think, oh, yeah, yeah the animation producer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Spielberg's love of animation drove him to collaborate with Don Bluth on movies like The Land Before Time and An American Tale, beloved classics that are likely to still be enjoyed at grandparents' houses all over America. Absolutely. Yes. I'll be that grandparent. <laughs> but the director wanted to do more with the medium, so he teamed up with Universal Pictures to create his own animation studio. Amblimation. This week, we're taking a look at the short-lived history of this defunct studio and its three films. Amblimation may not have lasted long, but its movies will live forever in the hearts of viewers everywhere. Yeah. Hooray. There were three movies put out by Amblimation that a lot of the time people think were made by someone else. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, this is a really interesting one. We def ourselves learned a lot doing this one, so hopefully you guys learn a lot too. Yeah. In 1981, only six years after Jaws took a huge bite out of box office numbers, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall launched their own film production company, Amblin. Its logo would later become the iconic image of Elliot flying with E.T. over the full moon. Under Amblin, Spielberg teamed up with Don Bluth to create the highest grossing non-Disney animated film of the time, An American Tale. The movie even beat Disney's The Great Mouse Detective in box office numbers and proved that Spielberg could be successful in animation as well as live action. An American Tale tells the story of Fievel Mouskowitz and his family as they emigrate from the Imperial Russian territory of Ukraine to the United States for freedom. It's such a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's no surprise that it did really well mm -hmm. just looking at it, even if it's not got the disney name on it right yeah 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 and and we here love the great mouse detective but that one as far as disney goes wasn't like a huge hit right? no and it it was successful but it wasn't mm -hmm. a huge hit mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. amblin continued to work with bluth creating the childhood classic the land before time yay <laughs> this film was also a major success prompting many sequels if these two films weren't enough of an indication that Spielberg could succeed as an animation producer, it was the wildly successful Who Framed Roger Rabbit that really sealed the deal. The hybrid animation live-action film drew in massive crowds, beating out the box office numbers for the previously mentioned films. People love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And for good reason. Yeah. It's super well done. Yeah. I remember watching it as a kid, and I really thought that, like those cartoons were talking to them. Yeah. 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 They did a really good job of keeping just like the aesthetic of the cartoons, mm -hmm. but they mm -hmm. made them look real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was just straight up a good movie, yeah. period. And it happened to have cartoon characters in it. 
Yeah. Right. Whereas a lot of times cartoon movies or especially cartoon mixed with live action movies kind of goof up the the movie mm-hmm. because it's cartoons like, oh, yeah. how wacky is that? We're playing basketball <laughs> right. in space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's certainly scene stealers for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Spielberg wanted to continue to work with Bluth and had ideas for an American Tale sequel. Bluth reportedly turned him down as he didn't like the lack of creative control he had had with the other two films. So in 1989, Spielberg made his own animation studio with Universal Pictures. He based the studio in the UK and sought out animators outside of the United States. Walt Disney Animation essentially had a monopoly on all the best animators at the time, except, of course, the team at Don Bluth, which Spielberg wasn't about to try and poach. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, he just worked with them. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You imagine? It would be difficult to convince someone with a job at the most historically successful animation studio to jump on a new and uncertain venture. I mean, yeah. I mean, S- some people like to do that. Yeah, yeah, like Don Bluth, for example. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it would it would have been hard. Mm-hmm. Once Spielberg had his team, they set to work on their first feature film, an American Tale: Fievel Goes West. Everybody remembers this one on their VHSs. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right? Like I said, this is another one that's in Grandma's cabinet. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I remember the previews for this one. Yeah. All the time. Oh. <laughs> Being a big Land Before Time boy. Oh, mm-hmm. true. Have that one on VHS for sure, and it would have this. Yeah. And then a bunch of other Don Bluth stuff. It's just like, yeah. Don Bluth has a unique animation style that can be imitated, but not replicated. He was noticeably absent from the second installment of the American Tale franchise. So Fievel Goes West had a different tone and animation style from its predecessor. Yeah, it's very different. Mm-hmm. It is. Like, you can see the bluthiness. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you could see how there is an imitation of what he did. Mm-hmm. The, just the whole yeah. dynamics of the animation <laughs> seems it, to be yeah. different. Yeah, it's a little bit more loose. Yes. Yeah. And it's... Um... A little softer, I think, too. Yeah. Yes. Is how I would say. It, what I would liken it to, it's a it's a mixture of Don Blue style with like a Looney Tunes yeah. kind of filter mm. over it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's real loose and, and soft and stretchy like a Looney Tunes. Right. Yeah. Obviously, all animation does that to some extent, even Don Bluth ones, but Looney yeah. Tunes obviously takes it to the next level because that's part of their aesthetic. When asked about it in an interview, director Phil Nibelink said, Don Bluth made a beautiful movie with American Tale. We tried to live up to it and go beyond it. We would never be able to match Don Bluth's style. He had such a distinct style. We had a completely different set of artists. It forced us to go in a different direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, better that they did. Yeah. yeah. I think. Because if you try to replicate it and then fail it's much more noticeable than just kind of like oh that's kind of Don Bluthy but yeah. I see what they're doing but for those of you who haven't seen this movie Fievel is up to his old tricks as the family moves out west for a better life as New York is not the catless dream they expected it to be they are once again deceived by a smooth talking cat that plans on exploiting the labor of the mice and eventually turning them into mouse burgers oh, oh. I mean, a cat would like it. Yeah. Yep. I guess. Works for cats. But luckily, their old cat pal, Tiger, 
has followed them to Green River and will help them face off against the evil Katar Wall. Yeah. <laughs> this film was directed by Simon Wells and former Disney animator Phil Nibelink. Like we said before, Spielberg had to go to Europe to find more animators to fill his team. He built a production crew of 280 people. 120 of them were animators. The rest were ink and paint, background artists, layout artists, etc. All voices for the film were recorded before animation, which is a common film practice. Usually voices are recorded after the storyboard process, but before the animation. This ensures that animators don't draw extra scenes that end up not working, and they can hear exactly how the characters will speak as they draw. That's very important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah imagine you just, you're just animating the script. Yep. And you don't even know how the actor's yeah. going to sound. And <laughs> yeah. like, like, what if oh no. what if instead of saying, oh, look over there, they say, oh, look over there. You know what I mean? And, yeah. You have it's to animate. It's simple, to, but it's yeah. so important. Yeah. Spielberg wanted the movie to have a live-action cinematic quality to it. He pushed for the animation to not have very many cuts. He wanted the animators to save that for when they wanted to build tension. For most of it, he wanted a moving camera, and this meant that animators had to draw really long backgrounds so they could keep the shots moving. The movie relies heavily on its Western setting, and this technique helped establish that. Oh, man. If Spielberg came into the office one day and was like, guys, I want a moving camera in my animation, <laughs> I'd be like, Oh, no. oh, why? All the hours. No. <laughs> the background was watercolor underneath, and artists used pastel, crayon, and a little bit of airbrush to create depth. Oh, nice. Crayons. Sweet. Crayons. Yes. Yeah. Animators also worked with a variety of angles, which was not common in animation. Yeah, man, that's hard. I had struggled to draw something as simple as like a face mm -hmm. in two different angles and make it look like it's the same person. Yes. Believably. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I can do one angle and then do another angle, but if I want it to be the same character, pff, good luck. <laughs> yeah. No way, man. It just looks like a totally different person. I, angles to draw, like camera angles, is yeah. so difficult. There's even a scene where the camera fully goes around this dog oh, character. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so you literally see him from every single point yeah. in, oh, man. in the feels, 360. It feels very cinematic. The music was composed by James Horner, but the film does feature the song Rawhide from the movie The Blues Brothers, in which Spielberg actually had cameoed in. Yeah. Look at that. So... Yeah. It's the TV theme song Rawhide. Yes. Performed by the Blues Brothers yes. in this movie. <laughs> That's great. This movie stars a couple different people. We'll start with Philip Glasser. He returned to lend his voice as Fievel. I think it's cool that they had that's, the same kid. Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah, especially because this was a couple of years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's an actor and producer known for The Illusionist and Agent Cody Banks. Hey. <laughs> we have veteran film actor James Stewart playing the heroic Wiley Burp. <laughs> <laughs> cool name. He's known for Anatomy of a Murder, Vertigo, The Philadelphia Story, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. This film was his 
final credit before his death, unfortunately, in 1992. Oh, man. Just, just remember, Fievel, one man's sunset is another man's dawn. I don't know what's out there beyond those hills, but if you ride yonder, head up, eyes steady, heart open, I think one day you'll find that you're the hero you've been looking for. Jimmy Stewart's awesome. I mm. love him so much. He mm. he was in so many movies, and he sounds so different in this. I was like, oh, yeah. he's such an old man. <laughs> yeah. oh. Erica Yon was Mama. She has been in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, The Godfather Part 2, and Karina Karina. Kathy Cavadini as Tanya. She's best known as Blossom in The Powerpuff Girls. Hey. hey. Nice. Nehemiah as Persoff. He's been in Some Like It Hot, Twins, and The Wrong Man. Dom DeLuise was Tiger. He came back for Tiger. Hooray. He's known for All Dogs Go to Heaven, Blazing Saddles, and The Secret of Nim. This is the worst moment of my life. I wouldn't wish this on a dog. Maybe a dog. <laughs> I love his voice. He was awesome. I love Dom mm-hmm. DeLuise. Amy Irving was Miss Kitty. She's been in Traffic, Adam, Carrie, and Crossing Delancey. She's yeah, been in your movie. She's been in Adam. Yeah. <laughs> I cast her myself. Yeah. <laughs> John Cleese was Catterwall. Oh. Gotta love us some John Cleese. Love John Cleese. <laughs> He's, of course, known for Monty Python and A Fish Called Wanda. Fun fact, he actually turned down Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast Uh-oh. for this role, oh. which is especially interesting because the two movies released the same day. Oh. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, he was fine with it. He was doing, yeah. No regrets. Yeah. (laughs) John Lovitz played Chula. He's been in A League of Their Own, we just talked about. Happiness, Rat Race, and Loaded Weapon (laughs) 1. He's also the radio in Brave Little Toaster. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's that's the role I know. That's the role. I mean. That's the only important one. Yeah. (laughs) This movie, although it did not win anything, it was nominated at the 1992 Golden Globes for Best Original Song for Dreams to Dream. Hey. The music was done by James Horner with lyrics by Will Jennings. Cool. Very yeah. cool. That's two, like, great songs in both movies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It grossed about $40,766,041 worldwide. I like how we say about, and then we give a very exact, exact. amount. Well, we don't yeah. know the change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that, true. Yeah, we didn't put sense. Alternatively, Beauty and the Beast, which released on the same day, was the first animated movie to reach $100 million in its first run. Oh, oops. Just to comparatively yeah. Yeah. see how much more money... Because yeah. $40 million... You're like, oh, that's not yeah, bad. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. like, all right... But then you look at what was doing super duper 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 well, yeah. and that would be Beauty and the Beast, yeah. which was, I mean, sky high, flying away, right? I mean, <laughs> real, changing lives, changing the world, <laughs> like 
Beauty and the Beast was nominated for just Best Picture, wasn't it? It was. I, yeah. It was the first animated movie to do it. Yeah. Which legitimized animation to a lot of people. And then, yeah. and then they just delegitimized it again by putting it in its own category. I know. <laughs> yep. In order to maintain a consistent release schedule with their movies, Amblimation worked on all three of its projects simultaneously. Originally, the next feature planned was an animated version of the musical Cats. What? What? <laughs> Which I wish happened. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, we so wish. Yeah. We saw some of the drawn up ideas yeah. for it, and it was, oh, it looked awesome. It looked really cool. <laughs> but as that ran into problems, the studio focused on releasing another film based on Hudson Talbot's book, We're Back, A Dinosaur Story. Yeah, so before we move on to the next one, do we have any thoughts about Five Goes West besides anything we've previously already... discussed? I I think it's a decent enough sequel, and I I always enjoy the the characters. Like Tiger is one of my favorite characters. Yeah, from yeah. The original Andy's back, and it's just yeah. you know. And I mentioned that I've seen the the preview for it on other VHSs over and over, and mm-hmm. I've always you know even for nostalgia's sake, I'll go back and just. Yeah. When I watched yeah. the movie, not skip any of that just mm-hmm. for fun. Yes. So, you know. This mm-hmm. movie, I was not prepared for how quick the pacing would be mm-hmm. and how much the characters would move and the backgrounds, the moving camera shots. Yeah. All of that stuff really surprised me because I'm I'm just not used to seeing it. Yeah. So it, it was really interesting to see how just different it was mm-hmm. from the original movie. I felt like the story could use a tiny bit of work, maybe. Yeah. But other than that, I really did. I did like it, and I didn't think it was like by any means a bad movie. No. Yeah. I, I think that if it were 1991 and I took my kid to see this, I wouldn't have been disappointed with it. I wouldn't no. have been like, "Well, Jimmy, well, I'm so I'm so sorry I ruined your childhood by this showing you this yeah, movie. I like, we got, need to get our money back. We yeah. should have gone to see Beauty and the Beast instead. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. So the next one we're going to talk about, obviously, We're Back, Woo! A Dinosaur's Story. Woo! Hooray. I think this one's a bit more popular. Yeah, I, I would say yeah, so, so, yes. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't seen it, Captain New Eyes travels back in time and feeds dinosaurs his brain grain cereal, <laughs> which makes them intelligent and nonviolent. Already a fantastic. This is so weird. This is Adam's dream, honestly. (laughs) Oh my god, I would love it. I think about it all the time. I don't even need to like make them smart or talk to them. I just want to see what they look like. Yeah, that's all I want. And then escape. And then yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) They agree to go to the future in order to grant the wishes of the children in New York City. Their plan is to meet Doctor Bleeb of the Museum of Natural History. But they get sidetracked with some new friends and later run into the captain's evil brother, Professor Screw Eyes. Okay, this is my favorite part about this. They're <laughs> yeah. brothers, but they have different last names. Yeah. One is New Eyes and one is Screw, Screw Eyes. Eyes. And I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> yes. Like, is the screw and the new the middle name? Like, how does that work? Okay, uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. Ah, there you go. That's a way to work around yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But he has other plans for the dinosaurs. Ooh. Probably super good plans. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Not, right? not nefarious not, at all. Not at all. There was something I read about this villain that a lot of people wish there was more to him because he's so uh, mysterious and creepy. Mm-hmm. He is. And yes. it turns out that I think that they found that there was a lot on the cutting room floor with this character mm. because he was so dark. That and makes sense. Scary for mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. I think we could do We're Back for its own episode at some point. Yeah. Yeah. 
If only to hear the song Turn Back the Rock. Dude, <laughs> I'm telling you, I put it on earlier. That's another bop. So Hanna-Barbera was the first company to contact Hudson Talbot about obtaining rights to his book, We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, only months after its release. It may sound funny to hear the Scooby-Doo animators making full-length films, but they produced some great animation, like the 1973 version of Charlotte's Web. Yeah. Yeah. Universal Pictures then paid off Hanna-Barbera and purchased the rights for Spielberg to produce the film. The film was directed by Phil Nibblink and Simon Wells, who also directed Five of Those Wives. Heck yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. Although Talbot had little involvement, he had many encounters with the creators of the film during production, including Spielberg, who would make several calls to the author. Storyboarding of Weirback started in 1990 during the production of Five Goes West. The first screenplay draft was written by Flint Deal and the film's director, Simon Wells. But the initial script was not well received by Spielberg, and he hired John Patrick Shanley to write another draft, which was done quickly and ultimately used. All right. Mm. Uh, God, you don't you love it when things are done fast? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and this, a... yeah, this is the issue with this movie. I yeah. think, and a lot of them is that they were done quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the book was only twenty pages and lacked any antagonist or any major plot points, making it difficult to adapt, mm-hmm. as you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Talbot felt the film had none of the tongue-in-cheek humor that he wrote in his book, so the voice actors changed a few lines while recording. However, this was not approved by Shanley, so the original lines were used in the film. It's a shame that he just didn't approve it, because I wonder what they I, I know, they yeah. Maybe he didn't, and since he didn't approve it, maybe they legally couldn't have because his name is on it. Yeah, maybe. And actually, funny side note, John Goodman started recording uh, his, his part just shortly after getting his wisdom teeth removed. Aww, wow. What a champ. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> While Amblimation was working on the film, Spielberg secured the rights to Michael Crichton's book, Jurassic Park. Yeah. The animators knew that even though they had been working on the animation for years, the films would likely release around the same time. When Nibbling saw the ILM's computer work for Jurassic Park, he said he knew that the film would be a game changer. There's no doubt it overshadowed We're Back (laughs) (laughs) as the best dinosaur film of the year. Probably decade, maybe even century. Yeah, it probably, I mean, it probably is. Absolutely. I mean, think about all the dinosaur. I mean, I guess there were a lot of dinosaur movies that came out yeah. in the 20th century. But mm-hmm. And, know. and you know, Spielberg loves them. Mm-hmm. He did yeah. at least three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The music for all the Amblimation films was done by James Horner. His work is the emotional cornerstone of We're Back, as the movie can be quite silly. Yeah, yeah it can. <laughs> James Horner was really good across the board, mm-hmm. but with animation, he did such he did so many great things. He really one of the big problems is that people weren't taking animation seriously, mm-hmm. yeah. and having somebody who scored these huge, big, popular films scoring an animation film kind of brought in some of that seriousness. Take yeah. take this movie a little more seriously, you know. Horner wrote the melody to "Roll Back the Rock" with lyrics by Thomas Dolby. Horner proved time and time again that he was a talented songwriter. And Spielberg utilized that to great effect. So starring, we have, we talked a little bit about John Goodman and his wisdom teeth, but (laughs) he played (laughs) Rex. He's known for things like Roseanne, The Big Lebowski, and Monsters, Inc. 
I'm smart, Buster. I'm one smart dinosaur. But I wasn't always. You what? No, no siree. No, I started off stupid and violent. Blaze Berdahl as Buster. She's been in the 1989 Pet Cemetery and the show Ghost Rider. Okay. Rhea Perlman as Mother Bird. She's most known for being in Matilda and the shows Cheers and Taxi. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> Jay Leno was Vorb. Of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. He's, of course, known for being a big TV personality for things like The Jay Leno Show and The Tonight Show. Yeah. Man, he was on that for so long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Renee Levant was Woog. He's been in Rocky Two and the 1977 The Incredible Hulk. Cool. It's yeah. A total killer movie, that one. <laughs> Felicity Kendall was Elsa. She's been in things like Good Neighbors, Valentino, and Parting Shots. Charles Fleischer as Dweeb. <laughs> He's known for movies such as Who Framed Roger Rabbit, hey. Zodiac, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, some, hey, good ones. some pretty big yeah. ones. Walter Cronkite was Captain New Eyes. How cute. Yes. He was a news reporter and journalist who lended his voice to just a few movies and shows. Yeah, he wasn't really an actor. Yeah. Right. That's why it's kind of cool that he's in there. Yeah, I know. I agree. <laughs> it's so funny to, to have somebody like that who you absolutely recognize the voice of, mm -hmm. but yeah. they're not, you know, it's totally right. out of their wheelhouse. <laughs> Julia Child as Dr. Blee. What? Yes. Why? I. That is a very good question. Don't question it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This movie was her only acting role as she's most known, of course, for her cooking and her cookbooks. Yeah. So why? I don't know. She just. They, it yeah. felt right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kenneth Mars was Professor Screw Eyes. He's known for Young Frankenstein, The Producers from 1967, and The Little Mermaid. All right. Yeah. Yardley Smith was Cecilia. She's Lisa and other characters in The Simpsons. She's also in Maximum Overdrive and As Good As It Gets. Martin Short was Stubbs the Clown. He's been in Father of the Bride. Three Amigos, and of course, everybody knows this one, Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause. Oh my gosh. The classic. Yes. <laughs> I'll give it to them. That's a very funny subtitle. <laughs> Adam, it's a, it's a great trilogy of movies. Oh, yes. I'm sure. Yeah. Groundbreaking. <laughs> the best. We're back a dinosaur story released during the start of an economic downturn for animated features in the early 1990s. It opened during the Thanksgiving holiday with other new entries, including Mrs. Doubtfire, A Perfect World, and a film adaptation of The Nutcracker. It grossed $3.7 million on its opening weekend and ended with a total gross of $9 million in the United States. Yee. <laughs> the film was generally considered to be a poor performer, and it was the highest grossing children's film of its opening weekend only because it was a poor weekend for the genre. Oh, yeah. Wow. So it's already seeming yeah. like Amblimation is losing steam. Yeah. Five yep. Goes West wasn't a flop. No. But it wasn't as successful as the it other things that were hit. coming out. Yeah. yeah. And now we've got one that people can look at and say, flop. This yeah. is yeah. this one just flopping all over the place. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Cult yeah. classic now, but flop then. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. 
By the mid-1990s, animation wasn't lucrative for anyone except Disney. Other studios were struggling to make films that competed with what would be later known as the Disney Renaissance. Man. Yeah, yeah, it was it was she, great for Disney, but not for everybody else. Imagine just trying in that time period where you're just seeing <laughs> Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. Oh, stop! Stop! Please. Stop it, please. In an LA Times article dated January of 1994, an anonymous Disney animator was quoted saying, "Animation, even bad animation, is a lot of work, and if you do that much work, you want people to see it." But the reality of the situation is that people won't go see it unless it's a Disney film. Man, oh man. It's so it was yeah. so validating to hear a Disney person say it. Yeah. yeah. You know, like yep. I saw the quote, I was like, yes, it is true. It is still true. Mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. think this is true. Yeah. yeah. People trust Disney. Yeah. yeah. They don't, they trust it, they know it, they they know what they're getting. Yeah. yeah. They have a little bit more competition now and to a yeah. lesser extent, people will go see other studios, yeah. but mm-hmm. really, Disney still has the biggest hold on animation yeah. right. by far. Yep. If people are confused and think a movie is a Disney movie, yep. that's good for that movie. Yeah. yeah. People will go see it. Yeah. You know, like it, it's crazy. The name is so important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're Back was considered a flop and certainly had its problems. But after its video release, more fans were drawn to the wacky storyline, mysterious villain and John Goodman's stellar performance as Rex. Top tier, man. Oh, yeah. It, it is an incredible yeah, performance. The components of a good animated film were there. In 1990, producer David Kirshner expressed concern that studios would start releasing films that weren't quite ready for consumers in an attempt to push forward with an animation renaissance. His worries proved valid as more animated projects seemed to flounder throughout the 90s. Oh, man. I think this might have been what happened with We're Back. Mm-hmm. I think if they'd had yeah. a little more time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? I mm-hmm. don't know. I mean, dinosaurs will always have a special place in my heart whenever they're in a movie. But it, it is kind of wacky. And I understand why some people might think, okay, maybe not this one. But for me, I've I've always enjoyed it. I mean, yeah. dinosaurs, yeah. period, right? Done. Yeah. But like like you said here, it's the work is there. Like the stuff mm-hmm. is there. You almost had it. I think a little bit more. And if they had maybe been less strict on the uh, on the screenplay or the or the yeah. script, like maybe mm-hmm. let the actors more kind of, of the do it funny a little bit. Parts to it. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. would have had a little bit more uniqueness and a little bit more flair that could have yeah. pushed yeah. it over the top. Because I mean, it came out when there wasn't really any competition for. It specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were movies coming out that were good. Like Mrs. Doubtfire is great. But it could have done it. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just a little bit more work on it. There are people who love this movie so much. You know, like, I remember mm-hmm. my sister Becky, she really likes this movie. Yeah. I remember when she found it in like the $5 bin at Walmart oh. and she was like, Robin, we gotta go home. We have to watch this movie. Yeah. She bought it. Yeah. She's like, we gotta watch this one. I think... There's something very sweet about it, very mm-hmm. childlike. I mean, the idea, that, honestly, the yeah. idea, guys, is that the dinosaurs are coming back to New York so they can visit children and make yeah. them feel, like and make their wishes come true. It's yeah. it's so great because that moment in the movie, they're in a parade, yes, pre- pretending to be like floats, yeah. But they keep cutting to the children, like, oh, I wish they were real. Oh, I wish the dinosaurs were real. I yeah. wish they would come back. And that's where Rex is like, all right. 
and then he sings "Roll Back the Rock," and I'm like, yeah, <gasps> yeah it's this super is a cool. wonderful scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I honestly, I don't see, I don't see the problem really with this movie, no. and that that's the thing. Let's just like, yeah. just people just didn't see it. Like, yep. I mean, good content is out there. Yeah. There's very good content out there on the internet for you to listen to right now, <laughs> but people just aren't listening to it. I mean, watching it. <laughs> Oh, anyway, <laughs> we we talked a bit about screw eyes mm-hmm. and to some point, you know, I, he does need a little bit more to him. But I, I really kind of liked the ending of him. It kind of let you come up with why he just disappeared, kind of. And yeah, you just, you, there's just he a just screw. basically turns into like. A screw. Yeah. So screw eyes makes sense. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. So I, to me, I made my own story that, that maybe he wasn't even real. Maybe he he's mm. just like not even um. technically a brother to the professor. Wait. Right. Professor? Mm-hmm. He was kind of made up as a villain. So it's like his, his like Mr. Hyde kind of yeah. alternate. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That's interesting. And the movie was just too short. <laughs> it is a short movie. It is short, yeah. Yeah, it's too short. <laughs> we just want more. <laughs> I mean, more dinosaurs all day long. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're in. After Amblimation's second flop, it pushed forward to release its third, and ultimately final film, Balto. If you grew up in the 90s, you might think of Balto as a success, as it seemed to constantly air on TV and in waiting rooms at the pediatrician's office. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, all the time. Yeah. Unfortunately, the popularity of the film didn't manifest until after it was in theaters. So Balto is a 1995 animated adventure film directed by Simon Wells, produced by Amblimation, and distributed by Universal Pictures. All right. Right? Yeah. That's all we need to know. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Done. The film is loosely based on the true story about a sled dog team that helped save children infected with diphtheria in 1925 by performing a serum run to Nome, Alaska. The movie focuses on the dynamic main protagonist, Balto, who is part wolf and Siberian husky. Despite the challenges that Balto faces as a social outcast, he ends up taking charge and leading the team on a treacherous journey to Nome, saving the children in the process. Yeah, this is a heartwarming tale this for one's sure. Super nice. Yeah. yeah. And I know that there's been a lot of like more documentaries and more information about this team and about mm-hmm. the dogs and mm-hmm. really was Balto, you know, the leader and all this stuff. Obviously mm-hmm. Balto was not part wolf. They added that no. to the yeah, movie. Yeah, he was, you know, he was a purebred. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. He's stuffed and he's in Ohio, so Yeah, he's mm-hmm. at the Cleveland yeah. Natural History Museum. Craziness. <laughs> yeah. We gotta um, go visit. And just as a little side note, just because I love this story very much, yeah. um, there is another movie out there on Disney Plus called Togo, yeah. which is a, another perspective on this, on this story, and it's also very good. Yeah. It's got Willem Dafoe in it. Ooh. And real doggos. Super Aww. cute. Obviously Aww. being live action. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about the making of this movie. Writer Alana Lesser recollected being told the story of Balto by her grandfather when she was younger, and as an adult, thought it would be a beautiful animated feature. Yeah. Yeah. So she and writer Cliff Ruby pitched the idea to Amblin with their screenplay in tow. 
It was then relayed to Phil Nibelink and Simon Wells. Great, great idea. Yeah. yeah. Definitely good pitch. You know, you think of something like this, oh, we could animate this. And you're like, <laughs> that idea is not going away. Like, yeah. You know this is a good one. <laughs> Director Simon Wells had to heavily persuade Steven Spielberg to make this story. It was close to his heart and he felt it needed to be told. It was a tough sell as Spielberg was apprehensive of a movie that he felt would not be colorful enough. What? I mean, yeah. think about it. Yeah. They're, they're black and white dogs yes. or, you know, mm -hmm. in the snow. Got to use some creative juices there, Steve. Exactly. <laughs> so, in order to quell these fears, Wells showed him dozens of small color studies done by the production designer Hans Bacher. They proved that the movie would not be solely black and white dogs on a desolate background. It ended up being Simon Wells' first solo-directed movie, as Nibblink would leave the project to return to working on We're Back. David Cohen and Roger Shulman would fine-tune the story into the final screenplay that would be accepted. I, I think this is the one that feels like, yes, they did it. They finally did it. They made, yes. they made the movie. Yep. Unfortunately, it still wasn't, yeah. it wasn't I think, enough. I think we could all agree that this was the best Amplimation yeah. movie. Yeah. We love them all. I think a lot one, of it has yes. to do with the screenplay. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I really love the animation and we're back. Since the budget was tight, a lot of tough decisions had to be made. An example of this would be that they would have to choose between either shadows or footprints in the snow. In the typical shot, they could not afford both, so they would try to figure out what they could get away with not having or showing. Wow. I think that this is unfortunate, yeah. but it's also cool Yeah, mm -hmm. because I think it's cool when you have to, when you're forced to make really creative decisions. Mm -hmm. You just have to think about it a totally different way in order to make things work because you just don't have any other option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. It, it's also crazy to think about the other side of that coin. If you look back at Disney, outsourcing animators to just do more bubbles oh. <laughs> yes. in, in The Little Mermaid. Like, yep. we can afford more bubbles. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, and you got crazy. these guys over here at Emblemation that are like, shadows or footprints? Uh, what do we got? Can't do both. Which, Which one? one's better? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In order for the voice actors to get a sense of the characters they were portraying, several model sheets were drawn up for the actors to look at. These sheets were done in the early years of development and would show different aspects of the character-like facial expressions, movement, and size comparisons. The team brought in seven Siberian Huskies to study. Oh. Yeah. They were used among many other references in order to get look and character movement correct. When asked about the decision to not reveal the identity of the White Wolf, Wells said, We wanted to keep it mystical and vague. Is this a real event or is it some kind of hallucination? that Balto is experiencing. All of these are reasons to not have the white wolf speak or in any way explain himself. Perhaps the wolf is a manifestation of Balto's inner voice, telling him to take ownership and use that part of him that he has always been ashamed of. Certainly, that is the message Balto takes from the encounter, real or not. Yeah. I Yeah, good decision. Yeah. I, I love that part about this movie and how it's just so otherworldly this white wolf because you know the snow and it can just appear yeah yeah it's, it's so cool and this is one of those 
James Horner music mo- moments. Yes. That it, this is one of the most beautiful parts of the score mm-hmm. when the wolf appears. And if the wolf isn't real, we don't need to animate shadows or footprints, everybody. So. Uh, <laughs> true. Hey, but yeah, I love it when movies do this, especially children's movies. Mm-hmm. Life doesn't answer all of your questions. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that it's really nice to see a movie that does yeah. because life isn't that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Balto probably doesn't even know if mm-hmm. that was a real wolf or not. Yeah. And I think that's cool. I think it's cool that they've kept that in. We don't need to know. It's not important yeah. for us yeah. to really no, know. It's not. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Morse code used in this movie <laughs> is just gibberish. With no hidden Easter eggs. Aww. Hopefully, you didn't spend too much time just dissecting that Morse code, everybody, and trying yeah. to. There, there were some people that did. They <laughs> religiously went through and uh, and tried and I, didn't find anything. I'm just saying, Morse code's real. Why use it and do gibberish? <laughs> they just needed the sound. Yeah, yeah I, I you know, guess. Yeah. I mean, it could have been like help children dying. Need medicine, dogs. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> don't use wolf, dog, wolf, dog, bad. <laughs> yes, purebred only. <laughs> the music was once again composed by James Horner. Well said. James preferred to present his score as the orchestral finished product, and make alterations based on notes from that finished product. This process made sense because Horner was in California while the rest of the cast and crew were in the United Kingdom. Uh-huh. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, and at least since music is done pretty much last. Yeah. You know, it's cool that it's it's one of those things you could probably not have to do mm-hmm. with everybody else. I mean, you can just trust James Horner. I think he's you can trust him. He's yeah. he's fine. He's done all the other Amblimation movies. <laughs> True. Yep. Balto is considered to be Horner's best Amblimation score, with beautiful and enchanting music that remains one of the best features of the film. Yes. Agreed. I honestly think I honestly think this is his best one of Amblimation. Yeah. Don't, yeah, yeah. don't let me get ahead of myself. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. There are, qu- there are quite a few good James Horner scores. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. It's haunting. There's honestly, it's incredibly emotional. You can hear little bits of like future scores that he's going to do. He did this around the same time as he did Casper's score, mm-hmm. which had Casper's lullaby in it, which very some very similar notes that you can hear throughout this and. I noticed, especially listening to We're Back, I heard some Page Master, too. Ah, so you can hear yes. that. And it's kind of nice. They kind of kept Builds. the same guy. Yeah. Spielberg yeah. has that record of like, I like you. I'm going to keep you. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. what he does, you know. Oh, man. So the stars of this one. We first have Kevin Bacon as Balto. He's known for Footloose, Tremors, and Mystic River. Hey. Yeah. Uh-huh. Bob Hoskins was Boris. He was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Long Good Friday, and Unleashed. Oh, Bob. Bridget Fonda as Jenna. She's in A Simple Plan, Point of No Return, and Single White Female. Jim Cummings was Steel. I'll get us back. I'm the lead dog. I'm in charge. Then let me take back the medicine. They're getting sicker. (laughs) Touch that box, and I'll tear you apart. He's been in Princess and the Frog, Aladdin, and the 2018 Christopher Robin. And about a billion other And so many others. An American hero. Yeah, Yeah. put a couple. Yeah. Jim Cummings is the best. He's from Ohio. Yeah. 
bonus yeah. points. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes, he's Pete. I mean, he's pretty much Pete in all of the Mickey Mouse things now. Yeah. Ah, yes. He's so great. He was the singing voice for Rasputin and Anastasia. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. I remember that. <sighs> anyway. Yes. Then we have Phil Collins as Muck and Luck. I don't know who that guy is, but yeah. he's probably not important. Let's move on. Yeah, um. uh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously a music composer, but I mean, everybody get, everybody knows him. Yeah, right? Tarzan everybody. and Brother Bear. Exactly. He really, really helps elevate those movies. Yes. Oh, man, his music's so good. It is. It so is. Good. Then we have Juliet Brewer as Rosie. She was also in The Little Rascals and Vegas Vacation. I just got to thinking, sorry to go back a second, but how different would this movie be if Phil Collins did the music for Balto like he did with Tarzan? It would be so much more (sighs) upbeat, Yeah, I think. It would be more upbeat, like... I could see one of his songs being used, like when they're on the run, because mm-hmm. like, oh, absolutely, yeah. The the run part of this movie when they're doing is kind of grueling to yeah. watch, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it's this, it's it is long, and you see them enter, like mm-hmm. you see them engage with so many obstacles, having all these issues, yeah. like, yeah. And I feel like it, that would have been if they turned that into a montage of like, yeah, exactly, yeah. I feel like he yeah. would have been more suited to We're Back. Oh, I feel like oh, his yeah, music maybe. would have hey. would have worked more with We're his Back. His music might have made We're Back a hit. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Can you imagine? Did we just uh, crack the now, code? <laughs> I mean, James Horner, of course. I mean, they, no, would, they yeah. would work together. They would work together. Yes, oh, obviously. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Phil Collins would be doing the songs that like you have to sing. Yeah. Like, yeah. He would have uh, done the credits version of Roll Back the Rock, and I want to <laughs> oh, hear that yes. right now. Yeah. So badly. Phil. I don't know Please. if you're listening, but uh, I mean, oh he's... yeah, he's a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now to talk a little bit about its reception and its, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. money wise and everything. All right. Yeah, the film earned over eleven million dollars at the domestic box office. Ow. Yeah. A little bit better. Ouch. Yeah. That but... is bad yeah that is bad yeah no for a movie this good 11 million yeah yeah Mm -hmm. (sighs) i mean just even talking about the last one where it was 40 million oh man right true you know and that was even way less than beauty and the beast i know (laughs) it was forced to compete with classics like jumanji and toy story which absolutely destroyed balto in terms of numbers no yeah. Destroyed. Destroyed. <laughs> no competition. I mean, guys, Jumanji. Yeah. 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 Toy Story. Yeah. <laughs> Don't need to say more. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just yeah. Those names, and you're just like, oh, uh, of okay. course, <laughs> of course, yeah. It was nominated for the Young Artists Award for Best Family Feature, Musical, or Comedy, and three different Annie Awards, but Aww. unfortunately, it didn't take any wins home. It's a bummer. I yeah. love Balto very much. This this one I'd seen a couple times and watched again not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. This one is up there in terms of just animation in general. Yeah. We we actually had it on our list. Yeah. When we did our top ten non Disney animated uh, traditionally animated movies. Yeah. yeah. Which is actually when I saw it for the first time. Ah, there no. you go. Yeah. Look at that. All mm-hmm. right. But. So if you listen to that episode, you know that we already love this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
this movie was a huge part of my childhood, not because I watched it a lot, because I didn't really watch it a lot. Mm -hmm. It's just that it was always there. Yeah, yeah. You could just turn on the TV and it was on. People had it on their yeah. birthday parties. Oh. It, it mm -hmm. was just kind of like everybody watched Balto. You knew you knew about Balto. Yeah. We all knew the story. I think when I watched it for that episode, we did. Mm -hmm. It had been the first time in years that I had seen it start to finish Fish. all yeah. the way, all the way to the end because it really just bits and pieces all yeah. the time. Yeah. It was huge. And there were so many sequels, just so many straight to VHS sequels mm -hmm. to this movie. Mm -hmm. And that's why it seemed so weird that it wasn't successful. Yeah. Cause not yeah. only that, it was good. It was a good movie. Yeah. It had all the makings of it. So we've talked about the movies. Yeah. What happened to Amblimation? Why did it stop making movies? Yeah. Other than the obvious, yeah. none of them were making any money. Yeah. Yeah. It's you real know, expensive. We yeah. We mentioned that a couple times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> when Balto opened, it only earned $1.5 million opening weekend. Oh. Yeah. It was in 15th place. And even though it seemed to be the most well-known and successful of Amblimation's films, its failure to draw in crowds to seem to be the nail in the coffin for the studio. Originally, the plan was to release a new film every year. The fourth feature in the making was an animated version of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats, which we talked about a little bit earlier yeah. today. The film was to be set during the London Blitz, with traditionally animated characters set against a 3D miniature set. The art style was inspired by German Expressionism, Animator Hans Bacher said he roamed the ugliest parts of London to take reference photos, and the team had been working on the project since they had wrapped Fievel Goes West. Oh, man. Wow. This sounds cool. I think yeah. it sounds great. It sounds, it sounds really cool. Yeah. London Blitz, German Expressionism. This yes. is cool. Cats. 3D sets with 2D <laughs> like, animated characters. Yeah. Exciting. I think that sounds yeah. pretty cool. Of course, this version of Cats never came to be. There were disagreements about the screenplay, and production stopped after six months. The studio moved on to other films that it produced. When Spielberg relocated the studio to California, a new team started work on the project. But it eventually stopped, and Amblimation folded in 1997. Oh, man. I wonder if there's anything else out there. Like, if there's a couple storyboards. You know, we, we mentioned that there is concept art out there, but... Is there anything else? Yeah. That'd be really yeah, cool if somewhere bits. in the bowels of Amblin that there's a couple <sighs> yes. of more things. I wish they released special editions of things that were just special features. Like, yeah. You oh, know, yeah, like yeah. the Amblin, like if, if it was like the Amblin collection, right? Oh, And yeah. it has all of the three movies, but then all the specials, right? The, the yeah. scenes, the commentaries mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Just, yeah. But then also have a whole set of stuff. It's like, here's the, the concept art for Cats. Here is everything that we had written, oh, any man. kind of things that we'd drawn up and storyboards and that kind of stuff. That would be so cool. Yeah, it'd be super neat. I mean, that would be cool for a lot of studios. Yeah. To just have more behind the scenes of the yep. studio themselves and all the yeah. other stuff that they worked on. Yes. Since Amblimation was gone, Universal bought the rights to the play. And well, we know how that story ends. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Imagine if Amblimation had just held on for a few more years, we would have an entirely different version of Cats than the monstrosity that clawed its way into our collective psyche in 2019. Uh, Man, yeah. dude, I, that's, 
I wasn't a fan, obviously, of the new one, but mm-hmm. I didn't know about this old one. <laughs> yeah. Now, knowing about this one that could have been, I look at the new one like, you disgust me. <laughs> How could you do this? Now, you could say that Ambomation never really disappeared. After the devastating box office loss for Balto, Spielberg saw the writing on the wall and shifted his attention to a new venture. Throughout the early and mid-90s, Ambomation was attempting to compete against the Disney machine. Like we said before, this was the Disney renaissance. Fievel Goes West was overshadowed by Beauty the Beast. By 1994, audiences were only gambling their movie money on Disney animation. And when Balto hit theaters, it stood against the first ever full-length computer animated film. Wow. Man. Mm -hmm. Things didn't seem to be slowing down for the animation giant. But in 1994, Disney lost its president, Frank Wells, in a tragic helicopter crash. The death sent shockwaves through the institution and prompted the resignation of one of the architects of the Disney Renaissance, Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, man. Mm-hmm. This is a big deal. Yeah. Looking, looking at it from the perspective of small studios, you're like, you know, you may think, oh, now's our chance or something like that. Yeah. But that's still, say what you want about Disney, but that sucks. Katzenberg had struggled with Disney CEO Michael Eisner for years. We talk about this a little more in our episode on the Disney Exodus from last year. So if you yeah. guys are interested in listening to that, mm-hmm. when you're done with this episode, you might, you'll learn a little bit more about some, some of the studio stuff. So what's one of the most successful animation producers to do when he finds himself out of a job? It's a good question, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What do you do? Well, luckily for Katzenberg, another producer and director had already rounded up some of the best talent in animation outside of the U.S., Katzenberg, Spielberg, and businessman David Geffen created DreamWorks SKG and named Katzenberg as the head of the animation division. Look at that. Yay! You thought yes. it was going to be a sad story by the yeah. end. I love you? it when a plan comes together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, as Spielberg focused more on his new venture, Amblimation fell to the wayside. Many sources report that the animators currently employed at the studio moved to DreamWorks Animation by 1995, and of course, Amblin was gone by 1997. Wow. Yep. You know, at least they kept the people. Yep. Yeah. That was really nice of them. Yes, yeah. they kept the people. They all had a different job. Steven Spielberg was like, hey, this didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to, I'm not, I know I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It, it sucks that it didn't work. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But we got something else going on. The, those people that we've been competing against this whole time, yeah. well, they're here now. Yeah. We have them. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. So, so the dream will just work now. Oh, oh that's why they did it. Oh. Um, and we can, you know, we, after talking about these movies, we see the talent there. And I'm sure Steven Spielberg did too. It's like these animators know what they're doing. Hell yeah. As far, oh, yeah. As, as, far as the movies go, they did not lack in that department. So hell yeah, bring them over. Yes. Yeah. And, it, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg leaving Disney like, okay, well, what do I do? All of the good animators are at Disney right now. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg says, bro, <laughs> I got some over here. Yeah. <laughs> so Amblimation might not have lasted long, but its legacy will live on in our hearts forever. Oh yeah. Yeah. It didn't make the most groundbreaking or popular films, sure, but it wasn't afraid to try new things. Looking at the box office, it's easy to say they were an undisputed failure. Oh man. Yeah. 
But that's okay. Amblimation wasn't afraid to fail, and success isn't always measured in dollars. They made three perfectly respectable films that entertained millions of kids, just not in the theater. They learned from their mistakes, and they moved on to make more films at one of the most successful animation studios today. Without Amblimation, we would not only be missing three movies, but we might have missed out on films like The Prince of Egypt and How to Train Your Dragon. There's something to be said for the lesson that Amblimation taught us. Steven Spielberg is one of the most successful and respected filmmakers of all time. And if he's not afraid to fail, well, maybe we shouldn't be either. Yeah. There you have it. There you go. And that's why we're doing this podcast. Because <laughs> we love failure. <laughs> we're not afraid to fail. I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> we're not risking that much. Yeah. But well, yeah. I mean, Spielberg had a lot of money, though. So at least, mm-hmm. at least he could fail if he wanted yeah. to. But yeah, I, I'm glad that by the end of all this... There, there's light. Yes. Because mm-hmm. whenever I think about am- amblimation, I always think about, oh man, they they here and gone in an instant. Mm-hmm. What else could they have yeah. done? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what else they there did. You. They created another. There was another studio that's done great. Yeah. Great yes. movies. <laughs> yeah. So they're there in spirit. Exactly. It never truly left us. Amblimation. Yeah. Right. Amblimation's still there. It just grew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So that's another case closed. Woo! Hey, yes. solid. Woo. And uh, so before we go, we want to thank our patrons, Joel, John, Jacob, Jacqueline, JD, Anthony, Shelly, and Linda, as yep. always. Thanks, guys. guys we really appreciate you. We really appreciate you. And yes. we want everybody else to know that we're on blackcasediaries.com. So go find us there. Look at our blog. Look at our No Small Parts is our other show. Check that out if you haven't had a chance. They're beautiful little stories, nice 15 minutes about. You can fit them in any time in your day. So go check it out. Yeah, just put it on in the car. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Short little trips to the grocery store. Exactly. You got it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Play it out loud at the grocery store. Exactly. Recite it at the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whatever you want to do you'll want to listen to it so many times that you'll memorize it. exactly yeah. tell it to your kids yeah it's clean exactly. there's no bad words in that one yeah. that's right and guess who the character is yeah have a fun, fun time trying to figure out who the character is and follow us as always on twitter or instagram check out our drink of the week yeah so, alright that, that's so it for do us it. yeah so do it and we'll uh We'll talk to you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. See ya.